Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's self-brain surgery Saturday early in the morning here on 8 July 2023. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and if you're new around here, I'm going to shout out to you because we have gotten hundreds of new listeners, dozens of new subscribers. Um, I think since Max Locato sent out a tweet and an Instagram post, Facebook post, even a threads post, uh, Max uh, Locato was so kind to share a post about my new book. I sent him a copy of the hardback once I got it. He's one of my cover endorsers for this book, Hope is the First Dose. It's coming out July 18th, and Max sent out a a very nice uh, little message, and so a bunch of his followers have now followed us. And so if you're new, if this is first time you've heard the podcast welcome this is the self-brain surgery with dr lee warren podcast and we are glad that you're here the whole mission of this show is to help us understand one important thing you can't change your life until you change your mind and the process of how we change our minds is what i call self-brain surgery it sounds silly sounds like one of those motivational speaker things but the truth is your brain actually controls how your body works, how your genes perform and duplicate, how your cells replicate. Even if you're still having children or haven't had children yet, your brain and your thoughts make changes to your DNA that are passed on to your kids. And we know now clearly from animal research and human research and Holocaust survivors and PTSD victims that some of the things that your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents experienced, felt, were afraid of, or harmed by change the genetic molecules in their body, the DNA and RNA and everything. And those things are passed down to future generations, out to the fourth generation. And we know now that some of the things that you're sort of nervous about or scared about or some of the baseline attitudes or feelings or thoughts or emotional states that you have aren't because of things that happen to you. They're not because of things that you're just inherently weak over or things that that you've been exposed to. They're things that your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents were harmed or hurt by. That's a fascinating thing. And the truth is, friend, you don't have to be harmed by things that happened several generations ago in your family. You can change it. And we'll teach you how a self-brain surgery. That's not just one little piece of the puzzle. But the way our brains are put together are designed for God to be able to communicate with, with us through the Holy Spirit. And the mind is the software, if you will, that operates the hardware of the brain. That's how it's put together. And we'll talk about that kind of stuff, neurogenetics, neurobiology, neurophysiology, neuroscience, epigenetics, and all that stuff. But we'll also talk a lot about faith and doubt and what happens when hard things happen in your life. What do you do next? That's what my new book is about, the treatment plan for recovering from trauma and tragedy and other massive things. And to understand the treatment plan and really engage in it and learn how to do self-brain surgery for you and your life to make things better so that you can change your mind and change your life. you got to understand some things about the science of how your mind works. So we're going to do all that stuff in this show. So if you're new, go back and check out some of the old episodes, and I think you'll enjoy it. It's going to be helpful. The book is coming out July 18th. Hope is the first dose, and we've been talking for the last week or two about things related to the book and topics and ideas and and characters and different things you're going to get if you read the book. And I just want to tell you that the book is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order the book, there's a whole bunch of goodies that we're going to give away that you can get. You upload your receipt or proof of purchase to my website, wleewarnmd.com slash first dose wleewarnmd.com slash first dose and you can click on a button upload your proof of purchase and you can download a spotify playlist that's two and a half hours of music these are songs that helped me while i was writing it helped me while i was grieving mitch and i loved some music that mitch really loved and and just a whole bunch of different music 
that'll be helpful to you as you spend quiet time thinking about the ideas in this book. One of those songs was a song from a guitar player named Joe Satriani, an album that I first discovered when I was in college. I remember clearly I was listening to a cassette tape on a bus while we were on our way for a tour for the jazz band in which I played electric guitar. And I heard this album, Surfing with the Alien by Joe Satriani, and this song, Always With Me, Always With You, came on. And it blew me away because it's so beautiful and so mysterious and the music just sort of captivated me. And I use it now when I'm writing as kind of a quiet time way to get my brain together and think about things. And it gets a little hard in the middle. Some of the songs on the album really rock really hard. So if you're not into sort of heavier music, this is the sort of lightest song on the album. And Mitch loved it. We used to listen to it together when we were in the car. And so this song is just a a reminder to me of some music that Mitch and I love. I'm playing it now in the background, Always With Me, Always With You by Joe Satriani from the album Surfing With The Alien from 1987. Playing it now because I want to give you just a moment to think about one thing that we're going to talk about in today's episode. It's, it's Self-Brain Surgery Saturday, okay? And on Self-Brain Surgery Saturday, we like to learn a new technique or think about something that can help us change our minds about some things. And I like to give you some strategic or tactical things. And so today what we're going to do is I want you to remember a time in your life when you thought there was something that you knew that you could stand on, that you could count on, and then you lost that thing, then what happened next? It happens all the time when parents think we're going to bury our kids someday and we lose a child, and all of a sudden that solid ground that we thought we could stand on, that knowledge that our kids would outlive us, or sometimes we never even thought about it or we took it for granted, is gone. What happens next? When you find that the ground underneath your feet is not solid but it's shaky, as my friend Tracy Rose wrote a wonderful book, Shaky Ground. If it's shaky, what do you do next? What are some things, just think for a moment, I'll bring the music up and let you think. What are some times in your life when you had something that you thought was solid, the ground you were standing on you thought was sure, and what happened when you lost it? Think about that for a moment. Have it. Do you have the time, the event, the thing that you thought was solid and you lost it? What did you do next? Well, today I'm going to give you a strategy, a set of tools for what you do and how you can change your mind. And it involves something called happification, which is a word that's made up. I didn't really make it up. I, I ran across it somewhere. But it's a, a word that refers to the fact that you have to do something to find hope and happiness. You can't just hope that it shows up. Hope and happiness come through a repeatable process that I call a verb. It's an action word. It's, it's several components. Memory and movement are the two most important ones. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the science of happification and how we can make hope happen when the ground underneath our feet seems to be shaky and not solid. So what do we do next? Let's listen to Joe Satriani for a minute and then Lisa's going to tell us that you can't change your life until you change your mind. The good news is, friend, you can start today. Are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. 
Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, here we go. So I hope you enjoyed that Joe Satriani music. That That's a special album uh, to, to this day. I have so much memory and emotion around when I first heard it and then all the times I listened to it with Mitch and he loved it too. And the, the song Satch Boogie and Surfing with the Alien, those two songs, if you like to rock a little bit, those are some rocking songs. Tommy Walker, I'm talking to you. Check it out if you don't know. Surfing with the Alien. Um, yesterday I had... So I had a long day yesterday. Um, had to make rounds at 6... Um, 6 a.m. had a meeting at 7 that I had to be at, a uh, committee meeting. Had clinic at 8. Then after clinic, I got home. I had five consecutive hours of interviews, five hours I was talking. So all day long from 6 a.m. So I got up at 3.30, did a podcast for you, went to the hospital, rounded, went to a meeting, did clinic, saw a bunch of patients, came home, and did five hours of interviews before I was finally done at about 6 o'clock last night, 6.30. And so I was worn out, and my voice, you can hear the fatigue in it this morning. I hope it's not driving you nuts. Um, but but I spent a lot of time talking about Hope is the First Dose yesterday, my new book. spent a lot of time talking about grief and loss and pain. And some things kind of rattled around, and I remembered. And I want to make sure I give this to you, because one of the questions that people are asking me in all these interviews over and over and over again, it's like, what do you do when the bottom drops out? What do you do? What, what do you, you talk about a treatment plan. How do we get there where when the bottom drops out of our world, we know how to stand up again and, and try to find hope and, and happiness and all that stuff again? Well, how do you do it? And the way you do it is something called happification. That sounds silly. Happification. I, I for me... When I lost that sense that I'd always had of positivity and it's going to be okay and this this kind of undying spirit, I never lost it when I went to war. I never lost it when I had PTSD. I never lost it when I went through a divorce. I always had this sense that somehow God was going to work it out. It was going to be okay. We were going to find a way back to being okay again. But for a while after we lost Mitch, after my son died, I didn't really think it was going to be okay anymore. I had this sense that something had happened that was going to change everything forever. And that turns out to be true, by the way. But I had a sense that it was going to produce an inability to get back to an okay type state. And for me, that was devastating because happiness had always been so important to me. And I'd always understood that you need to have a positive attitude and you need to have a belief and a faith that things can be okay and that God's going to take care of you. And for a little while, I didn't have that. And it sort of unanchored me. It's like I was just drifting, and I didn't know. Lisa and I talked about it a lot. Like, didn't really know. We kept going to church, and we kept talking about, you know, the things we believed in. But and we had other kids, and we had to try to encourage them. And really, that's why I started writing, and ultimately, the writing to my kids and all that turned into a newsletter that turned into a podcast and turned into books and all that stuff. So ultimately, I kind of wrote my way out of that and and found my way again. But what what happened originally? 
was that I needed to find my way back to happiness again. And it became pretty clear that it wasn't just going to happen, you know, randomly. It wasn't just going to happen. I was going to have to do something to make it happen. And as it turned out, my friend, Pastor John, the chaplain, in a devastating and pivotal conversation for me, gave me the thing that I needed to get back to that place where I could start figuring it out again. And it happened in the chapel at our hospital in Alabama after I did my first surgery. After Mitch died, I had to save a little boy's life, and and I had this conundrum of being— it was really hard for me. I was able to do what I know how to do and save a little kid's life and give him back to his parents, but I couldn't save my own son. It was hard for me to know that I could give another family a chance to not go through what I was going through, but I couldn't give it to myself. I couldn't do it for my family. I couldn't save my son. I wasn't there. didn't have an opportunity. I couldn't prevent what happened to him. And it was hard. It was a, it was a, a devastating thing. And Pastor John, in this conversation that we had in the chapel, I wrote about in the book, and I'm not going to give it to you now. We've talked about it before, but he basically told me, that you've got to go to the book of Lamentations in the Bible, and you got to see what that guy did when he was at the lowest moment. And if you can see what he did, then you'll be able to find your path forward. And he basically just challenged me. When I was ready, he said, you need to grieve, and you need to be sorry, and you need to be sad, and you need to, need to hurt, and you need to let this start to heal. But when you're ready to, to understand how you can move forward, you'll find it in Lamentations. Well, that sounds crazy, right? But I had a track record of trusting Pastor John and the things that he says. And so I eventually found my way to the book of Lamentations to try to find this solid ground that had been taken from me. Because I, as I discovered in the writing of my book, I've seen the interview, the thing that bothers most people the most when they go through hard things is not actually that they lose all their faith or that they struggle with doubt or any of those things. Those things we usually work through. What kills people the most in terms of hopelessness and and quality of life and peace of mind and happiness and value and purpose and meaning and all that stuff that we can lose. What bothers people the most is when they lose something that they thought they knew, when they lose something they thought they were sure of, when something that they believed turns out not to be true. And so we learn, like when you think that your kids are going to outlive you and one of them doesn't, it's devastating. When you think that that person is always going to be faithful to you and they're not, it's devastating. When you're a great athlete and you define yourself by your performance on the field and you hurt your knee and you can't go anymore, it can be devastating. When you believe that you've trained and worked hard and done everything right and you're going to get that promotion that's going to change your financial future and you don't get it or you get passed over for it, it's not right, right? So so those things that you think you know when you lose them can be the, the hardest things to deal with. And so I was struggling with that, with this idea that I thought I was always going to be able to find my way back to okay. I thought my son would outlive me and bury me someday. I thought all these things. And when I lost that, when I lost Mitch, it called into question everything else that I thought I believed. We We struggled with that for a while. And so we get to Lamentations, and I start reading. And I find this interesting thing. We've talked about it numerous times before. If you, if you haven't been listening to the podcast, you can go back and listen to episodes like Hope is a Verb, and you'll hear this. But, but the, what happens in Lamentations is the guy is in the middle of a, a five-chapter story, right? The first two chapters tell the story of the fall and siege of Jerusalem, how the Babylonians have come and capt- captured everybody and killed everybody and dragged the king off and 
plundered the palace and burned everything down and the women have been pillaged and the children are starving to death in the streets and all these horrible things are happening in the first two chapters of the Lamentations. And you get to chapter three and the guy who's writing it, who's obviously not been pillaged and captured and burned up because he's sitting somewhere safe enough to write by hand on a scroll after the fact that he's in a relatively safe place. So he's writing this story and he says, I am the man who has tasted affliction. I am the man. He says, I'm the guy that all these terrible things have happened to. Really? You just described how all these other people have gone through all this stuff, that everything's burned down and the king's been murdered, and you say, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. So he's he's individualizing it. Mark Vrogep, who's been on the show twice before, wrote the best book I've ever read about the lament prayer and learning how to pray through your pain and learning how to put God's put the words that you're feeling and the hurt that you're feeling in God's hands and really trust him with your complaints. And, and that's the, a third of the Psalms, by the way, are lament prayers. So we just don't learn that in church growing up, but it's, it's okay. And it's encouraged and it's biblical to pray when you're hurt and tell God that you're hurt and that you're mad and you don't understand that's, it's a lament. And when I read that book by Mark Rogab, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, who, by the way, he endorsed my book and his words were so encouraging to me and it's incredible that he took the time to read Hope is the First Dose and he thinks it's valuable so maybe you will too. But Mark wrote this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, which was the Christian book of the year in 2020 and he wrote it in 2019 but if he had written it earlier it would have helped me and I might not have had to even write Hope is the First Dose because he helped me learn some things about grief. But he said our natural bias is to individualize suffering and that's exactly true. I realized I even felt guilty about it after I lost Mitch. I would, I would, I would see somebody else go through something hard, like hear about a family who lost a child to cancer, for example. And in my mind, I would say, well, at least you got to know that it was coming. At least you got to prepare for it. That's not as bad as what I went through. I would see a person being wheeled out of the hospital after they passed away, and I would tell myself, well, it's probably an old person. At least they got to live more than 19 years. At least their family had them more than 19 years. I would minimize their suffering and maximize mine in my mind. And I realized that when, when I read Mark Rogab's book and when I read when I read Lamentations and he said, I am the man who's tasted affliction, I realized Mark's exactly right. We individualize suffering. We make it about us. And the fact is, in that conversation that we had in the chapel that day, Pastor John pointed out to me that my suffering was extraordinary, but it was an ordinary part of the human experience, that all of us go through these massive things, and all of us suffer in different ways. And the fact is, your grief, friend, your pain, whatever it is that you've been through, your story is individual to you, but it's a part of a larger story of this long narrative arc since the fall of man and before the redemption of how People suffer in this broken world. And that's why Jesus told us plainly in John 16, 33, in this world you're going to have trouble. But he also told us plainly in John 10, 10. In John 10, 10, he says plainly, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You can have both. And so I learned this, what I call Warren's Law of Suffering in the book. It's kind of a joke that that grief isn't a competition. It's a condition of being human. It's not a competition. It's a condition. Everybody grieves. And so there's no sense in, in sort of ratioing somebody else's grief to make yours feel worse. Yours is already going to feel as bad as it can feel to you. And making it relative to someone else's doesn't help the healing process. So don't try to do that. 
So back to the story. I get to Lamentations, and these first two chapters are devastating, and all these bad things are happening. And then in, in Lamentations 3, he makes it about himself, right? And don't beat him up too bad, because you do it too, and so do I. All of us do. Our natural bias is to individualize suffering. And he says these things that I started resonating with. I realized what grief does to your body. And here's some things he says in, in Lamentations 3. God, he says, he has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. Though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He is hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has made me chew on gravel. And I read those things and I realized my bones weren't broken, but I had shingles and my shoulder hurts every day since I lost my son. My hair turned gray. I was in a dark place. It felt like the lights had gone out in the entire world like those who were long dead, he says in Lamentations 3, 6. And I felt like... The lamenter says, though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. I felt like God wasn't hearing me. I couldn't even talk sometimes to him. I couldn't even verbalize the prayers that I wanted to pray. He's hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. This is what you feel. Why, God, are you doing this to me? You want to know, right? Why do you? Why are you allowing these things to happen? And it feels like God is attacking you or punishing you. And that's what it feels like. But remember, the self-brain surgery rule, feelings are not facts. Feelings are chemical events in your brain. So you will feel some things, but don't make yourself believe that they're true, right? But that's what I felt right after we lost Mitch. He's made me chew on gravel. I literally woke up one morning. I had a filling in my mouth, and I ground one of my molars so bad that the filling popped out and the tooth cracked. I ended up breaking two molars in the time after I lost my son. So his, your body will break and hurt and ache, and it's terrible. And so I saw what the lamenter was doing, and I, and I attached it to myself because I could feel exactly what he was feeling. I saw the bodily ailments that I had, the bitter taste of acid reflux and my broken molar and my lost feeling and the pain in my shoulder from my shingles and the pain that that still causes me 10 years later. I felt so isolated like nobody else could understand how much it hurts. I was afraid of everything. I, I couldn't protect my kids or my grandkids. So what could I be solid about? And the world had seemed so dark. So here it was, the ground that I thought I could stand on, that everything was always going to work out for me and everything was going to be okay, turned out to be shaky. It turned out not to be solid. So then the question becomes, what do you do next? And John said, Pastor John said, the answer is in lamentation. So dig into it. So when I was ready, it took me years, but I finally got to where I could go through it and look for it. And look what we found. Okay, now remember this episode is about happification, how to find happiness and hope and peace and purpose and all those things again after you lose the thing that you thought was solid enough for you to stand your life upon it. And I was at the low point, okay? But listen to what the writer says. Right after he tells us that his body's breaking down and God is attacking him and all these things, it gets even worse, okay? Here's what he says. Peace has been stripped away. And I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. So he goes from describing what's happening to his city and his people to describing what it's doing to his body and his mind. And then he tells you how it feels. It's making him feel 
like he's lost all of his peace and he's never going to be prosperous and he's lost his splendor and all of his hopes have been dashed and his suffering and homelessness is so bitter that he can't even find adequate words for it and he knows he's never going to forget this time and that he is grieving. He has stated what he's feeling very well and you should too. Articulate it what it is that you're feeling after you lose that solid ground. And it summed up my situation, really everybody's situation after the massive thing, the TMT happens. No peace, no prosperity to be had in earthly accomplishments or wealth. I could have cared less that I was an accomplished brain surgeon, a two-time author, a U.S. patent holder, and all that. I could care less. I lost my son. I would trade everything I had to have my family intact. I would. I'd do it right now. I'd give up this podcast. I'd give up everything that's happened, the Christian Book Award, the, everything. If I could have my whole family back, you'd never hear from Lee Warren again. That, that's how I felt. It's true. I just had felt like I had lost everything that mattered for a while. And here's the thing. John said the answer was going to be in Lamentations, and after three and a half chapters, I was finding it harder and harder to believe that there was going to be anything good in there. And then I stumbled hard upon this verse. So he's just finished saying, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And look what happens right here. This guy changes his mind and it changes his life. And he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. You see that? He did something. Call is a verb. He decided to call to mind, to remember something that he knew to be true. He's in the middle of this terrible thing. It's breaking his body. Has devastated his city. His people are lost and plundered. His temple has been pillaged. He thinks God has attacked him. He thinks that his hope is all gone. And then he does something remarkable. He chooses to take action. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's faced with bitterness, physical affliction, utter despair, and he's sitting on this bench of misery, crying out his problems, but he does not give up, friend. He does not give up. He uses a verb, an action word, and he calls hope to mind. There's other translations besides the, the, the NIV that I just read. He, he says all of these translations use active verbs. Recall, New American Standard Bible. Think of, New Century Version. Turn to, Young's Living. All of these are saying, I have got to do something to call to to find hope, to take hope, to choose hope, to go for hope, to fight for hope. It's not going to just show up on its own. There it was. The first time I'd noticed self-brain surgery in the Bible, this guy changed his mind. And here's the most important thing. The most important thing I'm going to tell you this morning is that he changed his mind in chapter 3 of a five-chapter story. And the last two chapters are terrible and awful, and they don't even end well. The, the book of Lamentations ends with a question like, have you just left us, God? Are you gone forever? Are you never coming back? That's where it ends. But he changed his mind and decided to be hopeful in the middle of that story. And that turns out to be the key element of finding solid ground again when the bottom drops out, is that you decide you're going to do something to take action to find hope, and that's how you become happified. That's the science of happification, is engaging the muscle of memory and movement to find hope again, whatever your TMT is, whatever your massive thing is. 
And look what he happens. So he says, look what happens next. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And here's what he does. I'm calling to mind the faithful love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never end. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. They are new every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. He is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Remember the last two days we talked about the Hebrew word kavah, this idea that we are waiting and wait produces hope and hope produces the ability to wait. And the tension between the now and the not yet is this thing that can pull us out of the pit and into hope. And that's what he uses here. That's the word. It is good to wait, to hope quietly for salvation from the Lord. He is daring to hope in the middle of his problem, not after he gets to see how it works out and he decides to be hopeful because it worked out okay. He decides that he's going to do it now. I have something I call gap theory. If I looked at all these people and how they responded to trauma, and I realized that some people can go through the hardest things and find their way back to hope, and some people can't, and the the difference between those people is what I call the gap, and it's this idea that Paul talked about Abraham who, against all hope, he in hope believed— Abraham said, it's it's hopeless. I'm going to believe in hope anyway because God's always been faithful in the past. And that's where faith lies. It's in this gap between against and hope. So the lamenter here, he had no reason to be hopeful because the situation was hopeless. They were objectively terrible things that were happening. But he chose to hope anyway. And that is the path back towards happiness is saying God's done this before he's delivered other people he's delivered me before I've been through hard things before I'm going to remember those things I'm going to call on those promises I'm going to hold on to them desperately I'm going to remember that I am not in a one-act play here this is a God that is writing a long story of the fall of man that ends in the redemption of man in the afterlife where I get to see my son Mitch again. And I'm going to take hope that this piece of this puzzle is beyond my ability to understand, but my God is still good and he's still God and he's got the power to get me through this and help me to find my way back to okay and maybe even happiness again. My God is not out of business. He is a hopeful, helpful, loving God. And my current situation and my current circumstance cannot define my happiness and my hope and my meaning and purpose in my life. And that, my friend, is how you find solid ground again. That, my friend, is how you engage the happification verb so that you can find your way back. And it turns out that shows up over and over again in the in the Bible, that, that same process of people in the middle of their problem who decide to remember what God can do and has done. And chapter, seven, or chapter 19 in my book is called Memory, Movement, and the Science of Happification. It tells two more stories, David and Asaph in Psalms, who change their mind in the middle of their problem and find hope because they decide to pursue it, not because they gave up waiting for it. Okay, that's the story for today. Memory and movement and the science of happification can produce hope and happiness again. I'm going to play a song in a minute by Leanna Crawford called The Truth I'm Standing On. Because sometimes the world is going to shake the ground under your feet. It's going to crumble the things that you thought you knew. And you better have some things in your heart, that prehab. You better put some stuff in there that you can stand on when life hurts. Because, friend, it's going to hurt. There is coming a time. There may have already been. You might be in the middle of it now. Or there may be more than one thing for you. But there's going to be a massive thing. And you need to prepare yourself. We're going to do prehab to put that stuff in there so we know what to stand on when the things that we thought we knew fall away. 
away. We're going to do self-brain surgery to learn a strategy to produce hope and happiness again and healing again, no matter what we go through, because we're going to remember that feelings aren't facts, that not every thought we have is true, and that we have to relentlessly refuse to participate in our own demise. We're going to remember that self-brain surgery tactics. And then we're going to get rehab for strengthening and resilience to carry on and get better by community, by work, by repeating the process, by automating it and making new synapses and learning to use our brains the way God designed them to operate that software-hardware interface between mind and brain to maximize our recovery and improve our neurotransmitter environment and make our feelings better by acting on them instead of reacting to them. And my friend, we are going to change our minds and we're going to change our lives. And hope is the first dose is coming out in 10 days and it's going to help you. And I'd love for you to pre-order it because it's going to help you change your mind and change your life. And it's going to help you find the truth that you can stand on when everything hurts. And it's going to help you most importantly to start today. Scared. Oh, I thought I knew scared. But I'm so filled with fear I can barely move Doubt I've had my share of doubt But never more than right now I'm wondering where are you Here on the
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.